Hello and welcome to DigiListen, a weekly podcast about digital service delivery for the voluntary sector. With the sudden impact of coronavirus, charities, community groups, social enterprises and voluntary organisations of all sizes are shifting their service delivery into digital remote channels. We've been hosting online weekly chats with folks from all kinds of charities, experts and people on the front line about what they're learning and how charities can make use of digital to reach people more than ever before. I'm Ross McCulloch, Director of Third Sector Lab, and this week we're talking about loneliness and social isolation. Joining me each week is John Fitzgerald from SCVO. Thanks, Ross. So it was another big chat this week. I think we had well over 100 organisations on the call, and we were thinking about loneliness and social isolation. So it was lots of different organisations sharing stories about how they'd use digital channels to get people more active and engaged with each other. Do you want to give us some context about why we picked this topic? Yeah, so this is this is one that's going to come up over and over, and I think there's there's a real danger that when you talk about loneliness and social isolation, you you kind of automatically think about older people. But actually, what we're hearing from lots of different groups, younger people, people with disabilities, and um, the kind of vast spectrum of societies that loneliness and social isolation affects a wide range of people pre COVID nineteen, and actually this current situation we're in has really accentuated it. And I think we reflected that in in the call as you hear in this podcast that. Actually, there's a lot of good work going on in the charity sector at the moment to, to help people through these processes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been interesting, I think, to see that some organisations already had a really strong programme that was using face-to-face activities. Yeah. And they've had to think quite creatively, but they've often been able to move that quite quickly. And really what surprised me is they've been able to re-establish connection very quickly without having to spend a long time planning and developing ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we're going to hear from uh, from Adam from Age Scotland and just the, the kind of pretty shocking stats in terms of the numbers of people calling their, their helpline um, and just gives us an idea of how big an issue this is across the country at the moment. Definitely. And I think one interesting theme that struck me as we heard from the speakers was because these organisations have been working with these communities for a while, they really understand the context and they've got a really strong relationship. Absolutely. And that's made it possible for them to do that new service delivery quite quickly because they've been able to see what's going on in these people's lives, understand any limitations there might be around connectivity or skills and work with that in a positive way. First we hear from Anne Callahan from the Campaign to End Loneliness. Anne's going to talk to us about how we define loneliness and some thoughts about how you might engage an older, isolated population. So my name is Anne Callahan. I'm campaign manager for the campaign to end loneliness. Our focus is on older people. We work in a research uh, and sort of policy and influencing uh, space. And again, our focus is on older people. I'm sure there's lots of people on this call who don't necessarily work with older people and we also know that anyone can experience loneliness at any time and perhaps some of us are getting a crash course in it um, at the moment. I'm going to talk about some some of the kind of generalities and there will be other speakers who will speak uh, more about the, the kind of transformation but just to let you know that there, there are definitions uh, around loneliness. Loneliness is a subjective feeling, it's the gap between the meaningful connections you've got and the ones that you want. And usually it's about face-to-face connection. Obviously, we're in a very kind of different space at the moment with uh, social distancing. 
There's also different types of loneliness that people might experience from emotional loneliness where there might be bereavement and someone's lost someone to social loneliness where maybe you're kind of, you know, you've lost friends and you don't have contact there. And then maybe we're all about to get a crash course in existential loneliness, that feeling of feeling very disconnected with what's going on. And sometimes that sort of results as uh, from uh, a situation of trauma or bereavement. But it's very true that people kind of move in and out of, of those different kind of states uh, of, of loneliness. Um, a few years ago, we did a piece of work called Promising Approaches to Reducing Loneliness in Later Life. And it set out that there's three main ways that one can actually help people uh, find meaningful connection. One is a one-to-one sort of interaction. There are some people uh, that, that going into a group space is, is kind of quite challenging. And then we've got group-based activities. And then we've got how you help someone change thinking in terms of how they look at themselves. Because one of the most insidious parts of loneliness is it drains away your sense of yourself and, and feeling that you're kind of interesting or your uh, social cues uh, might not be sort of in, in line with, with kind of societal mores. But obviously, if we're all physically distancing, those social cues are going to become a little bit more challenging and listening to people on the phone is going to be sort of ever more vital. So there's some really exciting things that SCBO uh, and others are, are, are looking at, which might actually result in this huge great leap forward. So that's going to be sort of really um, exciting. Some of the research that's kind of been done before talks about the importance that particularly for older people, it's about providing people with support to get up to speed with technology. It can be quite daunting if you've never done that before, and particularly for those over 75, the majority of whom aren't, haven't been engaged on, on that side of things. And older people have said that ongoing support is absolutely vital. Having someone that they can go to to troubleshoot if there's a problem, because the other thing that impacts on loneliness is this principle of self-efficacy, the belief in that you're able to do things. And I don't know about you, but I often tend to lose the plot when I have to try and plug my new smart TV in and that sort of defeats me. So imagine getting a crash course in technology that you haven't kind of, you know, had before. So ensure that there are support mechanisms uh, sort of around there. In terms of loneliness, there are two big drivers in Scotland, poverty and people sort of experiencing uh, sort of long-term conditions. And Scottish Household Survey had done a piece of work in September last year that actually did a breakdown right across Scotland, and this is pre-corona, about the areas that were particularly vulnerable to loneliness. So you saw uh, Dundee scored quite highly, West Lothian and sort of Falkirk were kind of three of the highest places where people were experiencing loneliness. And that was right across uh, the sort of the age range. So how do you help people feel a sense of connection? Well, it's shared values, it's shared history, it's shared activities, and it's shared interests. If you look at how your service actually delivers at the moment, how are you helping people access some of that? What's also vital at the moment is distraction is really important to take people's mind off uh, what's going on. The thing about loneliness is it can lead to an increase in, in kind of blood pressure and stress and anxiety and this situation, I think, will probably sort of exacerbate that, obviously. Those who are housebound may find that there aren't the same people kind of coming in, so that the contact that they have has kind of gone, which is kind of extraordinary. So when you're thinking about distraction techniques, from an older person perspective, 500,000 older people uh, in Scotland alone, according to Age Scotland, have TV as their main source of company. Think about 
how can you use TV as it exists at the moment as conversation starters, something that kind of brings people together to help them talk about it. So one of the other sort of ways to help people reduce the sense of loneliness is volunteering. Can you have a think about ways to involve people in volunteering activity that they can do by phone and sort of online? Other exciting thing is uh, befriending networks have done a series of, of six videos to kind of basically get people up to speed who are looking to integrate befriending suddenly into their kind of service delivery. I'd encourage everyone to really have a look at those videos. They've done an extraordinary job in, in, in kind of pulling that together. Other things to kind of consider with, with kind of older people, you guys are the experts in, in many cases, but it's like one tech size doesn't fit all. It's about thinking about that are hearing issues, that are kind of visual sort of impairments, that are dexterity issues. And, you know, speaking this morning to Glasgow Disability Alliance and they're kind of building all that kind of knowledge into to kind of how they're going to be kind of rolling things out. So it's really thinking about how you use the phone, check in with your, your kind of beneficiaries, find out what they want, and then think about a triage kind of approach to this. Who are the people that you need to kind of target first? One of the things, obviously, this is highlighting is that uh, inequalities are being sort of reinforced. So thinking about have you got provision for uh, people from black, uh, Asian minority, ethnic um, kind of groups and LGBTQ LGBT plus uh, as well, if that's kind of integrated into into your offer, and obviously the the, the sort of um, the kind of the visual and the hearing issues very important from from a kind of an older person's perspective. I would sing the praises of SCVO as well. They've got these kind of fifteen minute checks, and it's kind of important to get your staff up upgraded in this. So think about where have you got uh, people who are already. Uh, really a bit more tech sav in terms of the use of Excel and different types of technology and cascade that kind of across the piece. Are there tech savvy supporters or people on your board or people in your wider community who are involved with you that you could kind of get to come on board and kind of provide uh, sort of additional sort of insight? Again, don't forget landline phones and print and the use of kind of local newspapers and community radio to kind of actually let people know what's happening. So until we bridge this digital divide, we need to kind of still build the channels that exist already into the work that you do. And well done, everyone, for doing an amazing job in very challenging circumstances. Next up, we have Adam Stackerer talking about how Age Scotland have created an online hub for the older people who are online but they've also been thinking about what we do for those people who will never get online. Hello, everyone. I think I was quite interested in just giving you a brief overview of some of the challenges that we've faced and what we've been doing. Um, so I'm the head of policy and communications for Age Scotland, and uh, we're sort of one of the uh, national-based charity for older people. Now, this will be something over the age of 50 for lots of reasons, just uh, because... Um, age discrimination really does kick in, or older age discrimination in the workplace at 50, um, and that's a lot of the work that we'll do. But over the last few weeks, our um, work has entirely been focused around our helpline service, which is one of the core services that we offer, uh, beyond lots of other things. And it really sits at the heart of how we would aid people to become more connected and less lonely and isolated. So in terms of what we've been doing recently, uh, we have had to absolutely scale up our helpline service uh, for older people. And on a normal basis, we would sort of handle about 20,000 calls a year, uh, which on average is about 70 or so a day that we're operating from older people. Last week, the average number of calls coming in was about 750 a day. 
Um, so we've had to scale up significantly from a handful of helpline advisors to almost reappropriating every single soul that works in the organization to train them up to be able to deal with different types of calls coming in in a either a triage system or, or different things. And the offer here is sort of information, friendship and advice. Um, and the friendship part, I think, is particularly pertinent. Um, and it's not in a way which some fantastic organisations that are on this call do in terms of brilliant befriending. Um, but it's to have that opportunity for folks to have a check-in and friendly chat. But the, the range of things that people have been calling about have largely been driven by national news um, or initiatives by the government or whoever, the NHS, and calling really to find out what does that mean for me? And one of the things that we found particularly interesting, and Anna's talked about the digital divide in older people, but if you consider this, that of those people who are over the age of 60 in Scotland, the population of Edinburgh, half a million people, don't use the internet. 70% of over 70s do not use the internet. So for them, the way that they're getting information, particularly as coronavirus has been something which is of, of, of critical importance, to the health of older people, they are missing out on a lot of the information that exists. So what we've we been trying to do, number one, is decipher all of the information that's coming out from the NHS and the Scottish Government. And often at the beginning, there's so much of it. And it was it's sometimes inconsistent. It's not meant as a criticism, but things move really quickly. And try to build a hub, an online hub on our website at age.scot slash coronavirus. And it sort of developed from there from what does coronavirus, what is it? You know, what do you have to do? And as the guidance from the NHS and the Scottish Government has developed, it's to, to build that as well. And it wasn't to try and replicate it, it or to change the advice, it was just to decipher it for older people. And what does shielding mean? What does self-isolation mean? What, all of these things, but where can you go for, for help? So this really sets in terms of our digital offering alongside um, what we'll do in our phone call operation. So people can call us up and just find out, well, what, does, what does this mean? I've just had this letter from the chief medical officer. It says I need to shield. What do I do? I've been at home for a week. I've got no food. My social care has been cut from four visits a day to zero. Um, my family's been asked to uh, come and take care of me, but they can't because they are shielding themselves or isolating. So the types of calls we're getting from people have been incredibly desperate. And at the first phase of this, it has very much been about managing their crisis. Um, how do we signpost refer? How do we give the right information advice and deciphering of information for them? But where I think this is going is as, this, as more solutions to their sort of crisis needs uh, sort of develop, there'll be far more people who are going to be desperately lonely and isolated more. They are physically isolated, a lot of them, by virtue of having to uh, self-isolate by very nature's name, uh, shield themselves from others and having less contact. Couple that with um, not having um, the internet, not having digital devices to just go on and whether WhatsApp family members or whatever. So the phone is desperately important to them, as is uh, the sort of consuming basic news through, say, the BBC or STB or, or, or whatever, or the radio. As we go, we realise that the number of calls that we'll get will shift away from this balance of, of mostly crisis calls to a friendship call, a chat, a general check-in. And they'll just kind of call up and whoever kind of answers will be in a position to have a good friendly chat with them. And trying to find some kind of common ground, work out what they've been doing, what they've been watching, what they like, and have a, some kind of like interesting conversation with them. And that they can call up any time, any day.
to, to, to have a chat with someone to make sure now they'll not just be a friendly chat, but they can also access all their information as we go. And this sort of really stems from some of this, the previous services we've had. We've just had to pause for just now, for instance, our community um, support, uh, community development, which supports hundreds and hundreds of older people's groups across Scotland. But they've all kind of shut down. So all the staff that have been working there are now on the phone lines. Our community connecting service is there to kind of match and place people with groups and organisations and activities which they really love to do, but had no one to find out, didn't know how to find out where to get them. You know, for instance, someone was placed fairly recently with a, an Elvis Presley Appreciation Society. Now, um, it can happen, <laughs> people can have any kind of a, a, a kind of likes um, and we're able to hopefully be refer them to groups and organisations. So we're trying to find a way that as time goes on, we can kind of resurrect this. But if the groups aren't operating existing, um, just being the friendly ear and friendly voice is just so important which means that the whole focus of the organisation is, is on this helpline, nothing else. You know, you might have expected to do other work. Well, it stopped. You're on this. Uh, you're going to get trained up. You have to do it. And it's not easy. It's really hard, really hard, particularly from day one, realising you're going from 70 calls to 600 calls. How do you do that? How do you give people the information that they need? And also dealing with this critical and desperate need from people. So the kind of real challenge here is this balance between what we have available online between us all, um, how we make sure people have access to the best information, advice, and activities, and how do we look for solutions for those people who are not online yet, or who might never become digitally engaged by virtue of uh, a lack of a will, or quite frankly, a disability, which has meant huge barriers in place for them. So there's a really big, big challenge there. I know that a lot of our work is is kind of the old-fashioned way of phone calls and, and talking to people, but making sure that we can back all that up, the digital offering, but ideally refer to all the great stuff that everyone on this call and beyond, beyond does. That links into what we'll be speaking about next week on accessibility and inclusion, um, and it's something that we have plenty of questions about. Colin Miller was on the call this week and told us about how Spain are helping people who are having home care withdrawn. My name is Colin Miller. I'm the Chief Executive at the Scottish Personal Assistant Employers Network, or SPAIN. Uh, we've been supporting people who use direct payments to employ their own uh, social care support for 20 years now. And like everybody else, probably, you know, we kind of thought we had most things covered when it came to supporting our members, and then we got hit with this. So interestingly, the biggest thing that came through to us in the early days was the challenge of home care or care agency support being withdrawn at really short notice. Uh, people were getting extremely upset and concerned, as you can imagine. The big challenge for us was how do we support these people? And we anticipate that this will feed through into the, the people that we're supporting who are employing their own staff as well. Uh, so how do we start bringing these people together? There are people who are furloughed. Uh, I, again, imagine that PAs might be affected by that. A lot of them could be losing valuable income uh, because they're already on uh, small hours contracts or, or low wages. Uh, so we started uh, an emergency register, uh, very old-fashioned because I can't work technology. Uh, we asked people to, to come and register with us, uh, just set up a spreadsheet, basically, uh, working in partnership with PA Network Scotland. And a lovely gentleman called Neil, who I believe is also on the call, uh, got in touch with us through Twitter. 
and he made us aware of a platform uh, that he was using for a, a work in a business district type thing uh, and offered to donate the platform to enable us to start collecting people, matching people based on their locality, their availability, etc. Uh, so that's been phenomenal. It's kind of spiralled from there to we're now using it as a hub uh, so that people that are using social care can go in there, they can find information about national organisations and the supports and services they provide, local organisations and the same again, what supports and services they provide. We are currently chasing all the health and social care partnerships to find out about accessing PPE. Uh, seems to be a very hot topic. And again, just encouraging them if there are local innovations or ideas or small groups that are setting up, share it on the hub so people can come, they can look at their own area, be that Glasgow, North Lanarkshire, whatever, and see what's going on there. Start to engage with that if they're looking for people that need to come and support them uh, in emergency circumstances, they can see you as available in their area. One of the things that we, we had a big problem with was uh, carers getting in touch and someone was looking for specific food that they couldn't get from uh, supermarkets for their autistic child and because obviously he's, he's autism uh, he's very specific about the things that he'll eat um, so that was a real concern for that particular carer so again we've been using things like twitter and facebook to try and promote this and see if we can get folk to engage and, and help uh, but neil's uh, solution today is going to improve that so that if people are shielding, if they're self-isolating or if they just can't get access to certain foods and substances, eh, they could put it onto the hub and somebody else in that area could pick it up and, and offer them support. It's been a, a venture into something that I'm not particularly all okay with, as you can tell, but eh, it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's been really, really well received. Um, and as I say, we're hugely grateful to, to Neil in particular for, for donating the platform. The National Lottery community has also got in the back of it, um, so they've gave us a small amount of money to help staff that. So the platform is communityhubscotland.com, and it's on the Apple Store and Google Store as well, uh, so you can download it for free. It's free for everybody to use as well. Similarly, if people want to put their organisation on it and details of you know, what they can offer in terms of local support or national support, it's free to register. I even managed to, to register on it, so it can't be that hard. Uh, but yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal. As I say, folk have went from feeling abandoned to, yeah, we're actually part of a community now. Um, so that's been absolutely phenomenal. It was great to hear how they turned all of that around so quickly, but many charities are freezing services and providing new ones, or they're scaling up those which are currently more important. We're hearing now from Paul McKee, and how Dunfermline Advocacy have been managing this. My name is Paul McKee and I am a development worker with Dunfermline Advocacy, um, which as the name suggests provides advocacy in the Dunfermline area um, and across West Fife. And we're also part of a, a, a forum called the Fife Advocacy Forum, uh, which actually has several organisations attached to it. And I just wanted to speak briefly about some of the changes that we've we've made recently in light of uh, various developments. So we provide um, citizen advocacy to uh, individuals that are experiencing loneliness or social isolation, no age limits, 16 and up. 
uh, and obviously no maximum. And um, this is uh, a, an endeavour that really requires face-to-face, -face, um, as lots of our, our work do. But obviously, with that not being possible, we've needed to move to, to different options. And certainly lots of that has involved, you know, virtual support and conversations. And from the technologically uh, low challenge that suits me of telephone and texting to um, things like FaceTime and video calling, what, what we've seen in the work that we've done in the last, particularly the last couple of weeks, has been that it's a huge thing to people to even speak to you for five minutes. It's such a significant difference in their lives. And they tell us this over and over again. And we've started off by saying to people, we'd keep in touch kind of once a week. Uh, and that has naturally changed to um, whatever it's needed to be. Uh, there are people that we're in touch with more than once a day and people that we're in touch with, you know, just once a week. And that is, as you would expect, with loneliness and social isolation, something that is an individual experience. And what we've tried to do is uh, respond as individually and as bespokely as possible. But obviously that's within the, the resources that you have and we're a very small organisation. But you you know, I know everyone's doing what they can and that's what you need to do. Some of the um, the changes that we've made in terms of keeping up to date with what we're doing is um, we've started uh, something called an activity log, which within Evaluation Support Scotland, they call a change record. Um, but it's just keeping a, a note as you go along of any of the different things that you're doing in light of COVID-19 and the restrictions that are in place so that when reporting back to, to funders, uh, local authorities, etc., later on, rather than having to start and get, gather all your thoughts and get together and kind of plot a, a graph as to what's happened over the last couple of months, you have, um, you know, fairly up-to-date information based on lots of things that have happened. Um, and, and that's been really important to us. And it's, it's about adapted practice and it's about um, any of the changes, how successful they've been or, or indeed not. Um, and, and obviously, uh, funders are always interested in the, the learning that you have throughout the journey of, of any project that you work. Um, and that can include things that are negative. I think in addition to changing some of our practice in terms of being in touch with people, what we have also done is diverted. We're an organisation that, that essentially matches volunteers with people um, who are experiencing loneliness and social isolation. So what we have done is we've ostensibly passed on the volunteers that we, we had and have to uh, more uh, local and national organisations. And um, within Fife, there are Fife Voluntary Action Run Helping Hands. There's you know various mutual aid groups um, and Fife Council also have a um, a, a volunteer option in terms of the, the kind of wider effort and we've passed people on to them in the hope that they will eventually come back to us uh, for the work that um, you know we initially wanted them to do but but I think um, you know that's the kind of thing that is a change that you just have to 
roll with and you just have to um, kind of make the best of what's going on at the time. One of the other things that we've done is we've changed any any new volunteers that are um, looking to learn more about advocacy. We've managed to link them up to online tutorials and some e-learning about advocacy that was uh, produced by uh, Fife Council and Fife Advocacy Forum. And, and that's been something that uh, people have been sort of diving into and it seems to be something that's uh, that's been successful and people have enjoyed doing. So just a, a variety of smaller, kind of more local things. Obviously, we're a, a very small organisation rather than lots of the national organisations that you guys all support and um, represent. And, and I think what we've seen with the people that we work with and the people that need us is that lots of people have needed more contact. They've needed it to be more frequent and it's become more important to them. It was already important, um, and and this has just kind of focused everyone in terms of human contact is the most important thing, and it's the the thing that um, lots of people that we are in touch with uh, have very little or none of on a on a fairly regular basis. Really useful thoughts on change logs there, and particularly in terms of how you communicate the stuff that you've been doing to your funders. Finally, we're going to hear from Kerry Cleland talking about the work that she's doing um, with her parents and baby art groups and how she's delivering some of that stuff online. What's really interesting about this is she's talking a bit about how they took the time to speak to service users initially before just jumping straight in to delivering digital services. Hello, I am Kerry and I work for Starcatchers, Scotland's National Arts and Early Years organisation. Um, I specifically am the project coordinator for one of Starcatchers community engagement projects called Expecting Something, which is a project where artists lead creative sessions for young parents and their babies aged zero to two. So we run all year round in Loch Gelly, Fife and Westerhills in Edinburgh with sessions once a week. And the long-term aspect of this project means that as well as helping, helping to improve parent and baby engagement with one another through creative arts, the project also helps to build really strong friendships and build uh, connections with their communities so we often have parents telling us that the expectancy from sessions are what they they have to look forward to every week um, and a large majority of the families we work with um, most who are mostly mums are single parents and some have actually also just given birth in the in recent weeks so when everything started to sort of shut down and groups began to be cancelled it really felt that there was no option for us to to put a pause on it it felt that potentially we could be more important than ever. So we, in the last, <laughs> what I should say actually is also, we are working with an age group who are very well digitally connected. So we are fortunate in that way. However, we are also quite on a weekly basis trying to push against screen time. And so that, so it is slightly jarring for what we do. So the last few weeks we've been planning and gradually adjusting to what will be online delivery and what what has started already but we have also had activity packs with arts materials delivered directly to each of our participants that we work with because there felt like that was a disconnect for us to to be showing stuff and yes we can use the artists can use stuff around homes and everything like that but it also felt that we needed to, to give more so they've received those uh, materials now and we are now delivering online sessions using the materials so that we can all join in together 
it feels for us as an organization we've discussed that it feels like there's a lot of um online activities things to do with your children and it's actually been slightly overwhelming on social media um of this so we didn't jump in too quickly with it we've we've really talked to our participants about what they felt that they needed but we've also been really keen to personalize what we were we are doing for our specific groups um in each of the areas and i think that personalizing it and, and making it quite it's quite a closed thing with our groups at the moment um is what keeps the connection genuine and alive so i feel that this is this is the key to our keeping our our group relationship but also i think this could be an opportunity to help build on it as well um we are still in very early stages of finding out the best format for the overall delivery of the project but we're, we're trialing a mix of ways through pre-recorded videos of activity throughout the week but we're also we're going live either on zoom or facebook live to with all of our participants but we've chosen to make sure that we do that at the same time as that we run our groups on a weekly basis so that there's some sort of pre-COVID-19 routine still in there because we felt that that was important to have something in your head that you look forward to that you do at this time every week so we've not changed any of that but for me obviously nothing beats actual face-to-face than human contact but this morning we had a, a Zoom room with our Fife group and it felt in some ways like that we were all in the room together we had we played games of different finding different colors around your house bringing it back making a color wheel with your baby and we were all sort of off doing our own thing with our kids but then coming back together during these activities and we direct decorated our windows together and it just it did actually feel i think it was probably the most positive experience i've had with an online thing so far that it was really good fun but i think somebody mentioned earlier the dis- the distraction was important and it really felt that that's what we were doing it felt quite normal um, and it felt kind of joyous and and distracted everyone away from what's going on but like paul what's happening with us organically is that instead of being in contact once a week it's with our families it's almost become a daily thing they're just really keen to keep connected with us and so we've now started different chat groups and and we're working out different ways um and our artists have set up their you know taken away from their personal uh, facebook groups and, and set up their own star catchers ones so that we can be just in much more contact with people because it really that's what they're telling us that they they really want um so our our rules have slightly adjusted as well So yeah, we had a fantastic conversation this week. As always, some really insightful input from our experts about the work they've been doing to help people keep in contact and access services online. Once the speakers had finished this week, we got into a really interesting Q&A discussion as well. And I think one point that was really interesting was a real priority is going to be training and supporting people on basic use of technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, Adam made some really good points there about the stuff that he's hearing coming in from uh, the Age Scotland helpline, just um, how basic some people's digital skills are, and not just older people, but across the spectrum, you know, people struggling to send a basic SMS, people struggling to, to enter the SIM card and the device that they've been handed out so they can actually access data and to get online. And um, so there's, a, there's a, a huge range of issues that I guess we're probably slightly masked because people were accessing face-to-face services in the past, so there wasn't that need to be to be accessing some of these online. 
Um, so I think we're going to see more and more of this come out over the next few weeks. Um, and I, I think it's something we're going to really need to pick up on um, in these future calls that we have, is really looking at those issues of accessibility um, and looking at inclusion as, as across the board. Definitely. So that's coming up next week as a topic. Yeah. And as always, we'll have a range of perspectives on that. Really looking forward to the discussion. I think another interesting theme was this coronavirus crisis that we're facing. Uh, nobody wants to be in this place, but it has become quite a big trigger for organisations to start thinking about this space much more urgently than they would have done before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying that, you know, something that you and I have been talking about for, for quite a number of years, and there's been this slow trickle of charities getting more digitally involved and moving services online to, to service a, a broader range of people. And now we're seeing this this massive leap where almost all charities are thinking about this stuff pretty much overnight. And actually for a lot of them, that can be quite overwhelming. What's interesting that's coming out of the calls is we've seen charities who've been really quick to pivot and maybe got a good board who are kind of getting behind this stuff. But actually some of them feel quite frozen and they maybe don't have the culture that allows them to change practices really quickly. And that stuff is, is really becoming obvious over these, these last few weeks. Of course. And it's quite a difficult balance to get right, because on the one hand, you do need to have that boldness and confidence to just yeah. start trying some new things and seeing how users interact with it. But on the other side, you do need to plan and think holistically. So I think one thing that was struck me this week was that importance of, yes, being aware of the people who are picking up new digital channels and being in contact with them, but also remembering people who may have dropped off your radar. If you're relying on face-to-face contact before, keep thinking about the people who maybe have the low digital skills and make sure you've got other ways of following up with them. Maybe it's by phone or something like that so that they're not lost to your organisation at this time where everybody's having to adopt new ways of being in touch. Should we talk a wee bit about some of the, the kind of resources that we've got that people can get help with uh, after they listen to this podcast? Yeah, of course. So as always, we've got our COVID-19 Google Doc, and that's a live document where people were adding materials and resources during the call, and it's open for people to keep adding to as time goes on. Also on the scvo.org.uk website, um, there's a huge range of resources. It's on a page called New Service Delivery Models. It's linked in the podcast description. What we're doing there is putting together an overview of all these topics we've talked about and just lots of resources to help charities move further as they pick up these techniques. And each week we're aiming to have a couple of topical blogs. So this week we have one on weekday wire factor, and we also have some insights on just the issues of loneliness and social isolation and what digital channels can do to help with that. Brilliant. Excellent. Thanks, John. Okay, that's all we've got time for this week, but we'll be back next week discussing accessibility and inclusion. If you can join the Zoom call next week, it's Wednesday the 15th of April at 2pm. You'll find the sign-up link in the podcast description. Don't forget as well, we've got the links to the giant Google document and the SCVO resources page. You can find more podcasts in this series on iTunes, Spotify and most popular podcast platforms. Do please subscribe, review us and send it on to anyone that you think might help. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thanks very much to everybody who made this podcast happen. First of all, the charities who joined us in the call and shared all their wisdom. 
Secondly, Tech for Good Live podcast crew who brought it all together. And finally, we're part of The Catalyst, which is a UK-wide network supporting charities to make better use of digital. 